Sir, you know what monument that is by chance? I'm sorry. Is that the Washington? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's the, the Washington one. White House? It's so the, so yeah, north, yeah, okay. Yeah. What I can't seem to find is, where's the Lincoln? Where's the Lincoln? That's the Lincoln. There's the Lincoln. Oh. There's the Lincoln. Good heavens, I'm just, <laughs> thank you guys. Thank you. I feel like an idiot, thank you. What do you think of the Washington Monument? The Washington Monument? Washington himself. Oh, I'm sorry. This is the Lincoln. Do you know what building this is? This is the Capitol. Do you know who lives here? The president. Yeah. I need you guys to be super safe. Here, careful, there's a, yeah, just be real careful. Watch your step as you're coming up on here, be careful. Welcome to DC, watch your step, thank you. How do I say, uh, welcome to DC? Bienvenidos a Bienvenidos a Bienvenidos. Bienvenidos. Okay, here we go. Bienvenidos a DC. Can you drop me a beat? Washington, D.C., District of Columbia, District of Columbia, Columbia, D.C., of Columbia, D.C. <laughs> Abe was very, starts with an H. Happy? Uh, progressive? Abe was very... Outstanding. Awesome. Honest. Yes. Honest Abe. On a group hug. What else was he? He was very righteous. One of our best presidents. Who is your favorite president of all time? I don't even know. John F. Kennedy. Truman. Clinton. Hillary? No. <laughs> Why was he your favorite president? He probably was the most honest president we ever had. You talk about honesty, there was an honest man. Yeah, and humble. Do you see those traits in today's candidates? <laughs> That's a dumb question. <laughs> Do you see those values represented in our current candidates? Honesty? No. Progressiveness? Yes. What's more important? I'd rather be progressive. Thank you. And if I step in? Sure. Thank you so much. All right. Let's just Let's get one on. with the two of us. Oh, yeah. One with him? No, you can have separate also. No problem. Can I get in with you, just the two of us? Uh, sure. Thank you. <laughs> Do you think it's important to have a strong leader? I think it's uh, absolutely important. I definitely think so. If you don't have a strong leader, you're gonna have a weak country. Without the strong leadership, you have no country. I'm not too bad on these. I can, I can pull some pretty sweet tricks. Whoa, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I thought I'd be able to land it, but. And he's next week as well, yes. Uh, when I saw that the first time, I was like, no, all right, thank you. Uh, we need great leaders. We need great leaders, and today our choices look bleak. Uh, when I started this series last week, I thought it was bad, and then it got worse this week. More scandal, more corruption, more, I, I just couldn't believe it. As I looked around, uh, there was a survey that was done, and they asked about none of the above. If you could have none of the above, would you vote for none of the above? One survey said 65% of the people said, give us a new candidate. Give us a new candidate. And um, I, as I think about the series, none of the above, I'm thinking about this. There's no way to really register a protest vote. I mean, if you don't vote, it's just seen as who cares. Okay, so if you don't vote, it's just seen as, who cares? If you vote for a third party, again, uh, there might be a way to say, well, that was a protest vote. But again, one of the two of the major parties will get in 
and I don't think they'll change their ways until there's a way that they see that we don't like what's going on. Um, if you do a write-in, write-ins in many states, you know, just aren't even counted. And a sad thing, Mickey Mouse gets votes for president every time. That's kind of sad in our country, but they don't count that. But I thought about this, honestly, truthfully, um, I'm not going to devote my life to going after this, but I would think that if our country would put in none of the above as a viable option and say that if neither candidate, if none of the candidates running get at least 40%, we recycle and put new candidates up, I think that could send a message to Washington, to our country, almost like a hockey face-off, like you two are out, new ones come in, you know, it's like, come on, we don't like what's going on here, we vote against this, but again, that's not our option, we have to vote, we want you to vote. And I believe this, that even with all the uh, scum and corruption that is part of this election, um, it feels like it's a part of a tabloid election, if you know what I'm saying. Um, I, I believe this, there are stronger, greater issues. Please do not let the dirt keep you away from your duty. Okay? Please don't let the dirt keep you away from your duty. That, here's, here's my thinking is, do the right thing, even if you think it doesn't matter. Always do the right thing. I used to pray that over Connor and Logan. Lord, I pray they'd have the courage to do the right thing no matter what. And although you may think my vote is only one vote, I'm asking you to do your duty and, and to do the right thing. And you'll have that inner peace of knowing that you did the right thing. You, you said, my vote counts. I'll weigh in on this. I have this privilege. And I know that God is in control, but he's given us the ability to weigh in on this. And I'm asking that we would say, instead of none of the above, that's not a viable option, of saying we want to exercise our right to vote, our privilege to vote. And remember, the down ballot also counts. There's initiatives. There are things that are going on. There are other wonderful men and women uh, yet to be corrupted by politics, and uh, we want to vote for them. And judges, and, and judges. I tell you what, I don't even think about judges, but if you read uh, throughout the Bible, you'll see where they're like, judge me with honest judgment, Lord. Give me a good judge. Judge me truthfully. Why? Because in their day and age, the judges were corrupt. They were corrupt, and it was padding people's pockets and making decisions based on connections. And so we want to put good judges in and make good decisions. So please uh, exercise that responsibility and, and go down the ballot as well. Now, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of stress in this election. I was saying the other day, I said, I can't wait for this to be over. And someone said, with this election, I'm not sure it's ever over. I'm not sure it's going to be over. It just feels like there's something that's happening in our country. And uh, there's articles. If you search it, you'll find out there's the election stress and there's how to keep your sanity in this moment of stress. And I will tell you this. I will give you a tip to keep your sanity in this election. And it's found in Psalm 46, verses 8 through 10 in the Message Translation. When I was reading my devotions, when I read Psalm 46 as part of my devotions, just reading this, it just jumped off the page at me. And it says, attention all, see the marvels of God. He plants flowers and trees all over the earth, bans wars from pole to pole, breaks all the weapons across his knee, step out of the traffic, take a long loving look at me, your high God above politics, above everything. And when I read that, I was like, that's right. You are above everything. You're above politics. And I need to stop and get out of the traffic. I need to get out of the noise. I think some of us need some sanity breaks, some uh, praise breaks, if you will. If it gets a little too much pressure at work, just tell your boss, the election is getting to me. I need a break. Then go outside and praise God for a little. 
which I always wondered, like, how come smokers get smoke breaks? I should get a praise break, shouldn't I? I'm just saying. All right. I won't make that my cause either. All right. <laughs> but we need to get out and look at God's wonders. And when you look at his wonders, when you praise his name, I'm just telling you, don't miss church right now. In this season, don't miss church. Be in church. Come back for second helping. Do whatever you can and, and, and be a part of this. Uh, praise his name. Get above all the things that are going on in this earth. But we have before us two choices, two poor choices. I really believe that. Um, and we need to own our own part of this. I really believe that we have to own some of the responsibility. Charles Finney uh, said this about preachers. He said, if the country's going corrupt, it's our fault, preachers. He said, if we're losing our way morally, it's our fault. He's like, come on, the pulpit has to stay strong. We have to call people up to righteousness. We have to call them up. And he said to the church, come on, church, be the salt, be the light. And we have to own our part if if culture is looking bad, if these are our two choices, I'm wondering, are they a reflection of society? I mean, it's not like Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are just like, where, where, where did they come from? Nobody acts like that. Nobody thinks like that. I think really what's being seen by us is we're pulling away the curtain and we're realizing that there's a lot of uh, sexual immorality in our world. I think we're realizing there's a lot of lying in our world. I think we're realizing there's a lot of corruption in our world. And it's pulling back the curtain and everybody's looking at them. But I think we need to do some soul searching in this series and say, God, look at my heart. Search me. See if there's wickedness in me. God, help us to turn back to you and to look for you for the answers and, and come to you and say, we repent of the evil that we're doing. Again, I don't think these two selections were made and they're just way outside of what's available. I think it's an indictment against us and I'm saying, God, help us to be righteous. Help us to stand up for what is good. The theologian Oz Guinness said this, God gives you the leaders according to your righteousness. If that's true, that means we are a very, very unrighteous people. It's sad. It's sad. And I, I want to speak to so many different things. And I hope I can stay on track and stay with this. But we have these two choices. And I will tell you this, that our founders were actually afraid of this very moment. They were actually afraid of this time in history. And brilliant people like John Adams said this. He said, there's nothing which I dread so much as a division of the republic into two great parties. Think about this. In 1780, he said this. Each arranged under its leader and concerting measures in opposition to each other. This, in my humble apprehension, is to be dreaded as the greatest political evil under our Constitution. So we are living in a moment. It's again, how many know it's not like, well, he's sort of like this and she's sort of like that. It's like, he's like this and she's like that. And it's like two political parties that are on the uh, extremes. And he's saying, we dread this. And he said, here's what would happen if these political parties would move forward. He said, they would serve to organize faction and give it an artificial and extraordinary force to put it in the place of the delegated will of the nation, the will of a party. Often a small but artful and enterprising minority to the community they are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. These guys were smart when they started our country. 
And they said, what's going to happen if we get so loyal to these two parties and we have people like, this is me and this is me. He's saying, you know what's going to happen? People are going to be artful and craftful and bad people are going to get to the top and they're actually not going to do what the people want and it's going gonna, it's gonna to just destroy this country. It's a sad thing. And I want to tell you this. People have asked. I didn't get a lot of feedback on this series. Most people were, were happy with your pastor last week. Thank you very much. But people were asking, like, I noticed this, I noticed this, did that mean this, did that mean that? And I, I just, I will tell you this, I'm, I'm very conservative, I'm very conservative morally, I'm very conservative politically, I, I just, that's my personal nature, I can't hide that. But I will tell you this, I'm, I'm not loyal to a party, I'm just going to let you know that. Um, I will admit this, uh, a little embarrassingly, but um, when I went to vote and, you know, you register to vote, they say, are you a Republican, Democrat, or Independent? I was like, Independent. Now, I didn't realize that was a party, okay? You know, you're 18 years old. I'm like, I am, you cannot define me. I'm just undefinable. I'm like a symbol, you know what I'm saying? I was like, yeah. That's what I felt. I thought, I'm going to show everybody and I'm going to be, you know, independent. Well, that's the party. So after this election, I will, I will not be part of that party. All right. So I just accidentally did it when I was a kid. I've not corrected it. And here I am preaching on that. But I really, I felt like I don't want to be defined by a party. I don't want to say that this is for me. And, and I can tell you this, I voted across the aisle. Both, I mean, I voted both ways. I mean, the very first election that I got to vote for was for governor of Minnesota. And I, and I remember that Arnie Carlson uh, was the Republican and he said he was for abortion. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm going for the Democrat. And I can tell you this, that I went, uh, I've gone different directions. And again, I don't have an R on my chest. I don't have a D on my chest. If I have anything on my chest, I have a cross on my chest. Okay. That I'm loyal to the kingdom and not a party. That's just the way I am. Now, I know that people want to pick sides and people are trying to say, well, which one are you? Which one are you? And, 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 and we try to guess that about people. And I, I want to just use a couple of scriptures here. And the first thing I want to talk to you about is we want God to pick sides and that doesn't work. We want God, like, which side is, is God on? Which, which party is God with? And I just want to say it doesn't work. Joshua 5, in Joshua 5, the Israelites are fighting a battle. They are God's chosen people. Joshua is leading them. He has a job to do. He's supposed to take the city of Jericho and defeat it. And the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 5, it says, Now Joshua is near Jericho. He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? I want to stop here for just a moment. The man that he saw was the pre-incarnate Christ. It was Jesus Christ that he came to this earth and was there in a pre-incarnate moment and was standing before Joshua. And he was standing there and Joshua was like, can you imagine that moment? You see God and he's there with a sword in his hand and you're getting ready to fight a battle and you're like, do I got to kill him or is he on my side? You know, how many know that's that moment? You're like, ah, ah. if you're seeing that moment, there had to be a little bit of awe there. And he's like, uh, uh, which side are you on? Uh, our side or their side? And he replies, neither. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for this servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua is trying to say, like, Who's, whose side? Declare a party. Which one? Which one? And, and the Lord in that moment is saying, wrong question. Wrong question. And he's saying, are you on my side? Are you on my side? 
You understand? By the way, I feel like God was saying to Joshua, it's not about you, young man. It's about him and his mission and his glory and his honor. And we're like, well, whose side are you on? And he's like, "Uh uh-uh, wrong question. Are you on my side? Are you fulfilling my mission? Are you fulfilling what I've called you to do? Get on my side. Again, I just think that's a great wake-up call for all of us. Let's get on God's side. And, and it's an interesting thing. He doesn't argue with the Lord. He doesn't say, but Lord, we're your chosen people. And we, you got us out of Egypt. And we're trying to take Jericho. It's obvious you're on our side. Again, God's like, I have a plan for you to fulfill. And I'm going to ask you to fulfill that plan. But I want you to be on my side. Leith Anderson, the president of the National Association of Evangelicals. He actually uh, pastored a great church in Minnesota, and now he does this. And uh, he's the president of NAE. He was talking about, we want to declare that uh, God is in a certain party or not in a certain party, and he's for it exclusively. And he said this, he said, we, I, I tell the church, and this is kind of cheesy, and he said, I tell Christians all the time, we are not lo- uh, loyal to a donkey or an elephant, we are loyal to the lamb. That's kind of cheesy, okay? <laughs> but you get the point, all right? I'm just saying, if I was the president of the NAE, I would say, we are part of the lion and the lamb party. Okay, because he's lying to the tribe. I would, and I'd say it like Clint Eastwood. Lion and the lamb. You know what I mean? Or that was Batman. I don't know who that was. It was tough though. Okay, we're part of that party. Going for the kingdom of God. All right? And you get, that, you get that feeling here. God saying, be on my side. Have a higher allegiance. Sure, work within your party. But have a higher allegiance above that. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have a higher allegiance We have a higher allegiance. It's very clear. And I love what he says in verse 14. What message does my Lord have for this servant? We should be praying that. Lord, what message do you have for me? What cause do you want me to stand up with? What do you want me to do? And after he prays that, the Lord gives him the plan. And he says, I want you to go and march around Jericho. And God gives him that amazing, amazing plan. And you and I may differ on policy and technique. But I'm telling you this. We need to be loyal to the kingdom higher than any party. Loyal to the kingdom, that should be our badge. Loyal to the cross, loyal to the lion and the lamb, and not to the donkey or the elephant. Now back to our our poor choices here. Um, I've also realized this, when you face less than ideal choices, sometimes you have to just make a choice between two bad choices. I wish in life that it was always easy that you could make choices, this or this. I mean, I've been there at end-of-life moments where people are deciding, do we do this or this? Which choice? And the family is in deep anguish because it doesn't look like either choice looks like a good choice, but a choice and a decision must be made. I look at life, and there are times, again, choices and decisions must be made. I look at our, our, our country and different things that we've done. I think about, you know, in, with the Nazis, we had to decide, do we defeat the Nazis? Do we partner with Russia? who we knew was up to no good, but we partnered with Russia to defeat the Nazis. Then we later on had to deal with Russia. I mean, you think about, I know some, some of you are so young. I realize our church is very young. You're like, Russia? What's the problem with Russia? You know, <laughs> ISIS, ISIS is the problem, Pastor Rob. No, when I was young, we had bomb drills and, you know, they make us go under the desk. How many are old enough? Just admit it. You had to go under a desk in case the Russians dropped a nuclear bomb on us. All right. All right. So you look around the room. It's true. And uh, when I brought Connor and Logan 
Becca and I brought Connor and Logan to Russia. We're, you know, there, and I'm like, they were in Russia. They're like, big deal, big deal. I'm like, oh, I'm old. <laughs> but we partnered with Russia to defeat the Nazis. Again, two bad choices, but we chose to defeat the greater evil and went with, so I'm just letting you know that sometimes you don't have the ideal choice. Sometimes God gives you an amazingly easy choice. I love what Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 says, this day I called the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Sometimes God gives you amazingly easy choices, life and death. Giving your life to him or not give. I mean, that's the right choice to give your life to him. Sometimes he gives you that incredibly obvious, incredibly amazingly good choice. But sometimes you have to choose between bad choices. And many times we have to choose between bad choices because we have done bad things. Again, I think that the choice that is before us with our president, it's because we have done bad things. We as a people have allowed lying and, and smut and corruption to go on unchecked. We've not been the salt and light. We wink at sin. We pay deals. We pat each other's pockets again. And so we've made bad choices and bad choices lead to bad choices again that we have to make a choice between things. And I think about 2 Samuel 24. In 2 Samuel 24, uh, King David was arrogant and he did something that was against God's rules for the king. The king was not to count the people. You think, why? What's the big deal? You know, we drive in any town, it says this many people, this many people. We do census. And God told his king, he said, you will not count the people. You will not count the people. You will always let me have the glory and honor. You will not look around and see how strong you are, how amazing you are. You will not do the math. You will let me be glorified and honor. Sometimes he even takes the, the army down to smaller numbers so he can get the glory and honor. But David's like, I'm gonna count the people. The Bible tells us that Satan like put that thought in, I'm gonna count the people. And one of his advisors was like, don't count the people. He's like, I'm gonna count the people. So he counts the people. And as soon as he does that, the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel that his heart was convicted like, oh no, I did wrong. I shouldn't have counted the people. It's so arrogant for me to count my resources and how amazing I am. And in that moment, God sent a prophet and I thank God for prophets that can call out things like that. And in 2 Samuel 24, it says, verse 10, David was conscience stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly in what I've done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I've done a very foolish thing. Before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to Gad, the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I'm giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, shall there come on you three years of famine in your land? or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you, or three days of plague on your land. Now then think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercy is great, but do not let me fall into the hands of humans. And so David chooses from three bad choices, famine, running from your enemies or a plague that God was going to bring. And he says, if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to fall into the bad choice of letting God punish me and God alone. But he had to make a choice. Not choosing was not an option. He had to make a choice. And again, sometimes we're faced with things. Not choosing is not an option. We have to make a choice. 
And so in this moment, he says, I I will fall into the hands of God. And God sends an angel that is bringing plague and death. And if you know the story, if you don't, you should read it. 2 Samuel 24, it's an amazing story where uh, David is praying and, and, and he's like, God, please, it was me that did it. Stop letting these people die. It was me that did it. Leadership has a great weight of responsibility. And let me speak to the leaders that are here. I don't care if you lead your family, lead the PTA, lead your city, lead your company, lead a state, lead a nation. You have a great weight of responsibility. You ought to wake up every day and say, God, what do I need to do? How can I lead this people? We ought to pray like Solomon. Give me wisdom because this is way beyond my capacity. Heaven help us if we think we've got it all together. And David's like, it was me. I'm the leader. I did the bad thing. And and the Bible tells us that God at some point in there just says, stop, stop. It broke his heart seeing what was happening. And God's like, stop. And the Bible tells us that at a ruin of the Jebusites threshing floor where they would thresh out the wheat and the grain, it was right there. They could almost see the plague coming and it was right there that it stops. And the Bible tells us that amazing story about David that he goes to buy the threshing floor uh, from uh, Aruna. He's like, I've got to buy this spot and I've got to dedicate it to God and I've got to give him thanks that he stopped the punishment, that he, that he showed some mercy on us. It was my bad decision and I want, to, I want to do an offering here and bless God in this moment. And Aruna's like, hey man, you're the king. You can have it for free. And that's where David says that amazing thing. No, I'll pay full price for it. I won't offer anything to God that doesn't cost me something. Wow, that the, just the narrative and what's going on in that story, how amazing. David does a horrible decision. He has to choose between three bad choices. He, God stops it, and then he says, I want to offer a sacrifice. And it would have been real easy for the king to say, hey, thanks for cutting me a deal. I'm having a bad season right now. Thanks for cutting me a deal. But instead he says, no, I want this to cost me something. I want to give God something that costs me something. And I think we should even think about that in offerings and kingdom builders. And God, I want, to, I want to give something that costs me something. I want to do this. And it's an amazing, amazing responsibility that we see. Wow. I don't have time to go into it, but David was an amazingly quick repenter. He just repents. He repents and he's so quick to get back on track. Thank God for people that get back on track quickly. I found this old sermon with what's facing us now. I found this old sermon. And remember, in the old days of America, prior to 1954, not that long ago, okay? So you're like, I'm old. All right, you're older than me. All right. For 200 years, our pastors gave election sermons. Election sermons. They would talk about what was going on in the election for 200 years. In 1954, the Johnson Amendment said that nonprofits can't talk about the election and they can't influence for a candidate or against a candidate directly. They can talk about issues, but they can't say vote for this person or don't vote for this person. Again, you can talk about the issues, okay? And to show that I'm an equal opportunity person under the Johnson Amendment that currently is our law, I would like both Trump and Hillary to step down and let your vice presidents run. That's what I would like. That's an equal opportunity, all right? They won't do it. You know they're running. It's like a death match, all right? We know that. But I was asking the other day, in two bad choices, is the VP the tiebreaker? I mean, should we look at their character? But anyways, um, as I look at this, this is what I found, and I'll read this. This is from a sermon that used to be an election sermon. It says, when God, this is in 1792, New Hampshire pastor. 
When God is about to do anything great and good for a people, he raises up good and great men to govern in their public councils. But when he is about to punish a people for their crimes or to disgrace them for their transgressions, he has nothing more to do than permit the reins of government to fall into the hands of the weak or the wicked. And in either case, the ruin of the nation is inevitable. That was 1792. And he's saying to our leaders, we don't want the weak and the wicked to rule us. And I feel like it's almost prophetic with today. We have the morally weak and the ethically wicked standing before us. And I heard that and I couldn't help but think of Isaiah chapter 3. And if you'll give me just a few moments here. In Isaiah chapter 3, God was upset with his people and he says, I'm bringing a punishment upon you and I'm giving you no leadership. My punishment is to take away your leaders. And in Isaiah chapter 3, he says, See now the Lord, the Lord Almighty, is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, all supplies of food and all supplies of water. I'm going to take away the hero and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor, the skilled craftsman, the clever enchanter. I will make mere youth their officials. Children will rule over them. God says, I'm going to punish you, and I'm going to make children run over you and rule over you. I watch this campaign right now. It feels like they're children. And I think, my goodness, children can't even change their own diapers. How can they run a country? People will oppress each other, man against man, neighbor against neighbor. The young will rise up against the old, and nobody against the honored. A man will seize one of his brothers in his father's house and say, you have a, co a cloak or a coat. You be our leader. Take charge of this heap of ruins. But in that day he will cry out, I have no remedy. I have no food or clothing in my house. Do not make me the leader of the people. Jerusalem staggers. Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. They, the look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. And I know that was written to Israel. But I look at it and I see that God was saying, I've taken away your leaders. I've taken away your leaders. You will remember who is in charge. You will remember. And you think about it. The only qualification was, you own a coat. If be our leader, please, someone lead us. And I believe there's a leadership vacuum going on right now. And God needs us to step up as servant leaders. God needs us to step up as the stewards that he's called us to be. God needs us to step up and say, we'll stand for righteousness. We'll lift up what's going on. We will pray for our country. We will be the leaders that God has called us to be. Sometimes we don't want to be leaders because leaders get shot at. We don't want to be leaders because that means we're taking a side and that we're willing to call people up. Sometimes to call them out. But I believe God is calling for us to have leadership in this moment and for the church to step up. I look at what's in, in front of us right now and I feel like we have candidates that want to win and we have candidates that want power. And I'm thinking that's so sad. It's not about winning and it's not about power. I feel like this. I wrote this in my notes. I feel like I'm voting for a modern-day Nebuchadnezzar. You know, look what I have made. Watch out, you're going to move. You know what I'm saying? You know? And on one hand, and then I've got Gollum on the other side. My precious, I've got to have it. You know, <laughs> Mount Doom is impending. So I've got Nebuchadnezzar and Gollum, you know, to vote for. Give us wisdom, Lord. I have to remind myself God is in control. And I want to go back to that same scripture 
that I read right now, and we're going to end with praise and worship at all of our campuses. God is in control. Thank God that the leader of our party is Jesus Christ. Thank God that the leader of our kingdom is Jesus Christ. Thank God that he's the good shepherd. He does not pad his pockets. He does not live immoral. He doesn't do that. He's the perfect, loving, good shepherd. Now he's asking us to take this mess and make something of it. But I believe the church should call upon the name of the Lord. We should repent for the things we've done wrong. We should repent on behalf of our nation and say, God, help us, help us, help us. The way this election has been going, how many know every week brings a new surprise? Let's pray and ask God for a better surprise. Let's ask God for a better surprise as we go. I want to read this one more time. Psalm 46, 8 through 10. Attention all, see the marvels of God. He plants flowers and trees all over the earth, bans wars from pole to pole, breaks all the weapons across his knees. Step out of the traffic. Come on, church. Step out of the traffic. Matter of fact, here in all of our campuses, step up. Let's stand up right now. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything, above politics, above everything. Lord, we need you. We need you in this election, in future elections. We need you. Our own leadership needs to step up. Our loyalty needs to be to you, to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Lion and the Lamb. Lord, we are calling to be on your side your side, your side. So God, help us to pray for our nation, to repent of our sins, to raise the standard, to elevate what's going on and bring glory to the name that is above all names. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen.